Hi there, I'm Seth Singleton, and you are listening to Storytelling with Seth. This is episode number 91, and it's my pleasure to bring you this amazing conversation with Alka Joshi. Alka is the brilliant author behind The Henna Artist and the upcoming sequel, The Secret Keeper of Jaipur. Alka is also a former classmate of mine, and it's always a wonder when you're reading someone's work in class to discover or consider the possibility that you could be reading this in the future in a much larger context. That was part of my experience and something we get to chat about in this great conversation. It's my pleasure to share with you today and now this wonderful chat with Alka Joshi about things like writing a story that matters and so much more. With me now and for your pleasure, Alka Joshi and the henna artist with a little bit of writing thrown in, just for good measure. I think I have questions until the person comes on, and then I realize whatever's happening starts off the questions for me in a different light. So one, um, thank you for coming on and hanging out with me on Storytelling with Seth. I'll record a fun little intro that makes this all sound much more adorable. But I was immediately captivated by the fact that I have a client meeting later this week and it's going to be Zoom. And I'm always in that thing of, is my background okay? Does it need to be more professional? Do I need to like theme it or something? And then your background pops up and I want to kick myself because it's so gorgeous. You've got (laughs) these beautiful posters of your books. I, you know, I love the fact that we're able to know exactly what you've done and what else we can look forward to and more just by looking at your background. You know, I looked at a bunch of author Zooms and I realized that they all always have bookshelves in the background, all all these books that they've collected over the years. And I, I thought, oh, my gosh, I find myself wanting to know what is on those bookshelves. And I didn't want anybody else to be distracted. So I thought, <laughs> where is a place in my house where I can set this up and there's not a busy background? And there's this painting behind me, this large yellow and green painting uh, that I think we bought like. 25 years ago when we were first married. And uh, so it always hangs somewhere in, in, a, in a house that we move into. And so this is where it's hanging. So that's how I first started. And then my uh, publicist at the uh, HarperCollins, they sent me the first uh, poster of my book. And I thought, oh, you know what? That's, that's really good. I'm going to put that in the background. So that was the first thing I had. And then when they sent me the second poster, I thought, hey, I can just be like between the bookshelves of my two books. <laughs> Book ended by your own success. That's not too bad. Oh, That's I not like too that. bad at all. <laughs> I like that. Um, Alka, let's go ahead and just talk about the fact that for starters, when we met, we were both attending the same school together. And now you're about to rush off as soon as we end our conversation onto another interview. I don't know how many more you've got uh, scheduled and lined up. And because of that, I'm thinking about the fact that when we met, this was just the germ of an idea. You know, I remember reading selections of it in workshop. I remember really getting captivated by what you were describing and what you were working towards. 
for anyone listening, let's go ahead and give them perspective. That was around 2010. Yes. 2009, 2011 is when I was in that CCA program when I met you. Yes. Right. And it's not like you turned around and published at the end of 2011 or 2012. You had the germ, but then there was a process. And I think that's really one of the most important things we kind of touched on when we were setting this up is to let people know that it starts with a great dream. It starts with an idea. And then there's about the work of actually turning it into something that uh, fully represents or shows what uh, the idealized version, the final version, the polished version. Walk us through that if you don't mind. Okay. I really thought that an MFA program was going to teach me all the basics of putting a book together. And it turns out that's not the way it works. What you really learn in an MFA program is to try a lot of different things, uh, to learn what a writing prompt is and to get uh, inspired by writing prompts. And then you learn in various classes on a very surface level this is what it is to write a novel. This is what it is to write a short story. This is what it is to write a poem. So um, after the two years was up, I had the basic story down and it became my thesis. So that became, you know, it was called Henna, I think at the time, because I didn't have a better title for it. <laughs> and um, then when I finished my work, um, you know, my, I had my mother present at that thesis reading and it was so fun to have her there because she was my inspiration for the novel. The whole reason I wrote this novel is to give my mother a life in fiction that she did not have in reality. And that life was one of agency, one where she had to make the decisions about everything that will determine her destiny. But my mother didn't have that life. She had a very traditional Indian life. She was married off at 18, uh, arranged in marriage to my father. She had three children by the time she's 22. Um, she never had a career. I think she would have loved to have uh, finished college and had a career, but that wasn't cho a choice that was available to her. So in the henna artist, I create this character called Lakshmi and Lakshmi becomes a henna artist because she has no other formal training, just like my mother wouldn't have had any formal training. But then she goes on to desert her marriage and then uh, form this life and manage the patriarchy on her own terms, which is really the message of the book. So I finished the thesis, uh, but shortly thereafter, my mother died. It was very unexpected. And because she had been the inspiration for my book, I couldn't do anything with it. I was in so much grief for a couple of years. And I just went back to work. You know, the work that pays the mortgage, that pays the bills, that kind of work, marketing and advertising work that I had been doing for several decades. So uh, two years later, Anita Amirazwani, one of our uh, instructors at yeah. ECA, she called me and she said, what's going on with that book? You know, that book was so promising. She'd been one of my huge mentors and thesis advisors. And um, so, she, so I explained what had happened with my mother and she said, okay, you know what? Why don't we work on the book a little bit more? It's obvious that you kind of need to work through some of the grief. So I did. And uh, she and I worked on it for about a year back and forth. And then she sent it off to her agent. And next thing I know, her agent is calling me from New York saying, I love this book. I love the story. I love Lakshmi. I love the concept. So let's get started. And I said, great. Are we getting published now? She said, oh, gosh, no, you have work to do on this novel. Three years later, we're still working on this novel. We are still editing and polishing and cutting, 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 cutting. 
And that's something that's really hard for writers. You know, you you spent so much time figuring out this story and figuring out what words to put together very carefully. And uh, you're loving the way you're sounding, you know, and then somebody comes along and says, yeah, you know what? This makes no sense at all. Cut out this chapter, cut out this character, cut out the way that you're doing this story arc. Oh my God, it's like cutting off your arms and legs. But I did it. And you really, it did make the book better. I mean, a literary agent is a, an agent for a reason. They have experience in this world. They know what's going to sell a book. They know how to make your book the kind of book that a reader won't want to put down. That's where they're trying to get you. Well, so at the end of three years, I say, Emma, when are we ever going to show this to a publisher? I mean, we have just been editing, editing, editing. She said, oh, well, you know, now you are ready to get a professional uh, editor. And I said, oh, my God, what is that? I thought that's what we've been doing all this time. She goes, oh, gosh, no, I'm just a literary agent. Now what you need to do is get yourself a what's called a developmental editor. So that's what I did. And I went through two of them. And um, as they were sending me all of their details and, you know, all of the suggestions for the book and all of this, you know, by the time I got to the second one, I got really upset because I thought, why does everybody else get to tell me what to do with my work? This is a work that came out of my imagination. And I think a lot of writers are going to feel this way. You know, this is my work. This is this is my story. Why does everybody else get to tell me what to do? And I got so angry that I decided not to do anything about those uh, edits. And I put the book away again. And, you know, sometimes you just have to do that in order to step away from the emotion behind the work. Uh, you either move on to another piece of work that you're doing, or you go back to paying your bills, <laughs> which is what I did. So I was back to doing my marketing work again. And I was looking for something in my desk about a year later, and I ran across the manuscript. It was sitting there. So I start reading it. An hour later, I'm still reading. And I realize I am absorbed in my own story. Seth, have you ever had that experience where you read something you've written and you think, hey, that's pretty good. You know, <laughs> I wrote that. I can't believe I wrote that. Really? I wrote this? <laughs> So, uh, so then, you know, I'm looking through all of this and I'm thinking, well, if the book can hold my interest after all these years, and by now it's been seven years since I first conceived the story, then maybe it will hold a reader's interest. So then I went back to look at all of those editorial comments and suggestions and I started addressing them. And I realized that what these editors were saying was, this is a good book. This will get published. But here is a way that you can make it even better. You can make the scenes more compelling. You can make the characters, the kind of characters that readers are going to care about. This is really what we're all trying to get to, right? We want to create a story that touches people's hearts and minds. And that is what these editors were trying to teach me to do. You know, Seth, I think at all points in our lives, we are either a student or we're a teacher. And even when at the age of 51, when I first started this uh, novel, I knew that I had to get back into the frame of mind of being a student. I had to learn from other people who knew way better than I did. They might be younger than me. Uh, they may have uh, less experience in marketing and advertising the way I had had, but they knew about the publishing and writing world. So I just had to let go of my ego and start anew. Now I kept 
addressing uh, the points that the editor editors had made. And I addressed probably about 80% of them because you do realize as you go along this path that some comments are made to be addressed and some comments just really do not jive with your um, with your intention for the book. And you always have to keep that intention in mind. The intention is I wanted to write this novel about female agency, female empowerment to give my mother the kind of agency that she didn't have in real life. So I had to uh, look at each of the comments that were given to me. Uh, and I just had to say, okay, does this address the intention that I had? Or is this taking me in a place I don't want to go? So I finish all of these edits and I send it back to my agent and I say, Emma, it's been nine years since I first conceived this book. Could we please send it off to a publisher? And she still had some reservations, but I said, Emma, I can't make any more changes. I have already made so many changes in this book and I do think it's the best book that it can be as of now. So she said, okay, finally. And I, I even gave her the option of not being my agent anymore. I said, Emma, maybe you're just tired of being my agent. Maybe you just want me to go to another agent. Maybe you want me to seek other representation because you are sick of this book. And she said, no, 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 that is not it at all. I do think it's a fabulous book. Let's go for it. Two months later, we have an offer from Mira Books, which is an imprint of HarperCollins. So that is how we sold the book. Now, there's a, another thing that happens once you sell the book. You get a new editor, and that is the editor at the publishing house. And they have the final say-so in what they want you to do. And she did have a major character change for me to make, and I had to make it. Do you know what I mean? It's like you have a contract. You are so close to the finish line. Now your final editor, the one who acquired the book, is telling you that there is still something else that you could do to improve the book. You're going to do it. You know, there is no resistance at this yeah. point. <laughs> wow. So that, <laughs> is, so that is where we ended up. And I have to tell you that the book that people are reading today is my 30th draft of this book. That is how long it took me to get to the point where a publisher said, we're done. So, and we're not talking about like, this isn't a 50 page novella that we're talking about either. We're not talking about 30 drafts of, you know, a 10 page paper. Right. We're talking about 30 drafts of a novel. Um. Yes. 350 <laughs> pages. And uh, every time you do a uh, draft, you have to start over at page one. It's not like you can just address one particular scene because once you start editing one scene, it may lead you to edit the next scene or maybe a scene prior to that. Or maybe it'll change the, the trajectory of somebody or the backstory of somebody, that particular scene that you were working on. So you start again from page one. <laughs> yeah, I would always laugh when someone would suggest the idea of putting in a, an element that could build throughout in different ways. And I would find myself going, okay, so one, where do I introduce this element? And then how do I find a way to increase it You know, throughout the rest of the story? Like, how do I not only incorporate that idea, but also make it feel like it's something that should be there instead of me just like parting a couple of words, dropping this idea and parting a couple of words and dropping right. it in and thinking, Hey, I've done enough because no, simply by adding this, you know, whatever this element might be. And that's just one example. You're changing the tone of everything around it. You're either right. amplifying, you're, you know, right. lowering the volume a bit. Uh, that's a, that's a lot. And I can only imagine how many people would go, 
but you're supposed to fight for your dream. You're supposed right. to be, uh, you know, unrelenting. You're supposed yeah. to be determined. And yes. yet you also want this to be a published book that's available to others. And when you're put in that so, situation. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think that it's more than just being published to write something that mattered to me and that would matter to other people. And I do think that this is a distinction that people should keep in mind when they write. It's not about selling your book. That's not what you're doing. Your intention has to go deeper than that. What is it that you want to say in this book that is going to resonate with other people? How are you trying to reach people? Now, at this point, um, you know, I had no idea that this book would reach anybody. But at this point, I have heard from thousands and thousands of readers. And I've done 350 book clubs where I get verbal comments from folks. And the, the astounding uh, thing that people tell me, no matter what country they're from, no matter what culture they're from, is that the henna artist reaches them on a deep level. That is so satisfying as a writer. It is so satisfying to have people know that you have somehow either impacted their life, uh, gotten them in touch with some part of their life they had forgotten about, or uh, a character in their lives, in their real lives, a family person or a friend that they had uh, lost touch with. But the book is resonating with them on all these other levels uh, that is allowing them to feel heard and to feel, um, you know, like they matter in this world also. That is where you're trying to get to. That's the important thing for, for people to remember. It is not about just finding an agent. It's not about just getting published. It's about the story behind the story. And this is something they don't teach you in the MFA programs. It's the story behind the story that resonates with people. Why did you write this? Always keep that in mind. I think you did a great job of bringing that up. And I'm just going to warn you if you hear any background noises while I'm talking. As we moved our time, it also just, it's been a serendipitous thing for me that whenever I have to schedule one of these, that's the time people either have to get ready for work or everyone's going to wake up. And uh, I, I laugh because I'm to the point where I might go into a small closet I have and sort of just wall myself away in there. But if I still hear noise, I'll probably go nuts. There's this old, uh, 50, I want to say it was from the 50s. There's a great old black and white movie about a uh, screenwriter who's trying to get away. And they send him to a house that has just one key. They tell him, you'll be great. You, you just sit down, lock the door, and no one else has a key. And throughout the night, different people who all are also supposed to only have the one key to the house keep <laughs> showing up and interrupting him. And he's just like, I, I'm in the house with one key. I don't know what to do with my <laughs> Now, I, I want to point out a couple of things. One, you introduce something that I feel is so uh, universal right away in when I was reading your book. And actually, I have to parap I have to change that because I'm not actually reading your book. I'm listening to your book. My mm -hmm. wife got it as an audio book and I'm always up for an adventure. So there was a part of me that said, hey, if she's got the audio book, why don't I try this for context? Now, it's different in that I have to be uh, conscientious of the pace that the reader is reading the book to me. I might read a little bit faster, but I'm, in, I'm enjoying the development. And I love that really early on, you set up what the challenges facing Lakshmi are, where she is uh, not only struggling with being an independent woman in a society that 
does not offer many opportunities for that. Also, where she has to be conscientious of her cast and how that gives her uh, some opportunities to work, but also where there's lines that delineate just what she is able to do and how far she can push things, but also how she rises in the most interesting ways, how she meets women who provide comfort and pleasure and she learns henna from them and through that she navigates her way upward and in doing so I was not only moved by that but it struck back for me to something you and I were talking about which has been so wonderful since you mentioned it I'm working on a book and when I brought up to Alka that I was talking about it when I was this is for anyone listening but when I brought this up with you you said well what's the story behind your story and as we started talking about that, I immediately afterwards rewrote my uh, pitch letter and I'm still reworking it. And I have a friend who uh, he's actually got a request recently for more pages. And I mentioned it to him and I said, hey, I know you got that. I'm just telling you, I heard this great idea. When did you discover that that recognition that that was something that you not only wanted to make sure was important in your pitch letter, but was going to be a driving force as you were working on this book? And even as you're getting editorial you know, suggestions and uh decisions and even when you're meeting with a final editor who's making these big changes you had that intention from early on you know you you brought it up to me what was this driving force and this is a story that your mother could have lived but she didn't get a chance to uh, when did you sort of like i've got it i've struck that chord and i can hear this beautiful resonant tongue and and everything feels <laughs> like it's it's come together i've had that moment you know you can press the palms and you're like centered Perfect. I found it. Well, I would love to be able to take credit for this idea, but it is not my idea. I have to tell you that almost everybody, uh, including Anita, including the uh, my agent, my editors, everybody kept asking me this question, but they didn't phrase it as what's the story behind the story. They said, why are you writing this story? That's the question that they kept asking me to answer. And then I realized, oh, uh, it took me years to understand that what they're saying is, why are you writing this particular story? You could have picked any story out of uh, the atmosphere, right? You could have picked a story about what your neighbor is uh, doing today and how they're murdering people. Or you could have picked the story about, you know, going to the fruit market and buying a particular fruit that, that you've never seen before in your life. But you picked this story. Why did you pick this story? And it wasn't something that I could answer immediately. It took me a while to get to the, the you know, get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And I realized, oh, it's because I saw my mother my whole life. I've been seeing my mother uh, not have any kind of power in her life. I have grown up with this woman whom I really don't understand and I don't know. And as I got to know her more because she lived with us for the last seven years of her life and I was taking her back to India many times to say hello and goodbye to people, um, I realized that there is a whole other part of her life that I didn't know anything about. And this was all happening at the same time that I was in that MFA program. I was going back and forth to India a lot. And uh, in so doing, I learned so much more about my mother. And I realized she could have had a whole different life. How can I manifest a life for her uh, in fiction that I just, I cannot change the life that she has had. 
but I wish she could have had a different life. I felt so much empathy for her in that moment. And it took me years, I think, of exploration about why I was writing about this one woman named Lakshmi who was leave her marriage and find herself. And I, that is something I think I secretly wished for my mother. I wish that she could have left her marriage and found herself. Um, that's really powerful to discover. I, I think, I mean, I'm going to be remembering what you said to me when you said it to me for a very long time. Like, you know, it was, it was really impressive because you kind of, I started to explain and then you, you really dug down on me. You were like, no, 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 no. We're going to get past that. I want to talk about why you want to write this. And it really stems from what I'm also hearing echoed from you, my hopes and fears. You know, there were things that I wanted, but there were also things I was terribly afraid of. And as we were talking about it, I became so aware of how what I was writing about was a reflection of both my hopes and my fears. And I think for many, that could be an undiscovered driving force that if they were able to look at their work and identify where the hopes and fears lie, that they could potentially unlock what you've described so well and what I'm still in the process of unlocking. It, it's, a, it's a powerful thing to consider because there's a reason, right? I mean, you, you, you pointed out so well, it's not about getting published. <laughs> it's not about finding no. an agent. It's about why you're bothering to write this story. Why yes. you're willing to put in the time. <laughs> yes. Why are you willing to put in the time to write this? Why is it so meaningful to you? Because if it's meaningful to you, Seth, the reader will feel that and it will be meaningful to them. Because when you're digging really deep down about who you are and who the people around you are and how they have shaped your life or your worldview, that is very powerful to figure out about yourself. And it's where a lot of people want to be. A lot of people want to know, how is it that they think the things they do? Why did they marry the person they married? Why are they living the lives they're living? And books, I think, help them figure out the answers to that. So if you're writing something that is deep from within you, and these are lessons you have learned in your life and you want to impart them, or these are explorations about your past or about your family that you want to make some sense out of, it's going to make sense to the reader. It's going to reach them in a way that you just could not have predicted. Mm. I, I'm hoping that anyone listening, anyone watching, you know, replays that if it sticks with them. It's already something that's been re replaying in my mind. It's it's an important thing that I think hmm, it would have been helpful if we could have addressed that in some way in the program. I hope someone from an MFA program is going, yeah, we should talk about that when we talk about <laughs> writing. That might really help some people out because... So often it's so easy to get wrapped up in how the greats are doing and what they've yes. done and then, and then what we're doing. And then there's the difference because, and for anyone listening, I'm separating my hands to show there's a high and a low and, and maybe about a foot and a half between that. And if you're looking for a way to bridge that, well, you can rely on the people who have been there, but you can also rely on the tried and true method that you're going to have to explain at some point when you're talking about this book to others, when you get to a point you want to share it with others, because it sounds like what was so great was that this was part of your process was this, yeah. you know, why do these people keep asking me this? And why is it they don't seem like I'm giving them the answer? Right. Oh, 
Well, because they're actually asking something else. They're phrasing right. it in this question, but the question right. that lies beneath is, yeah. uh, is something much more direct. Why yeah. do you bother to spend the time? Why would you write 30 drafts of your novel? Because mm -hmm. there's a reason and it's important. And most importantly, that reason usually stems from us, from some part of us, from the, yeah. the, the purpose that, that picks us up. <laughs> yeah, you know, I hear so many writers say, oh, Alka, can you help me get an agent? Can you help me get a publisher? Uh, you know, they're, they're always talking about literary agents and publishers. What they're not focusing on is why they're actually writing this story. And yeah, I think, Seth, we should have an entire course at CCA devoted to why we're writing the stories that we're writing. They matter to us. <laughs> I think you could be teaching a master class soon. I think I'm going to see you online and doing those commercials. Alka explains to you why you're writing. All right, let's talk. About <laughs> uh, I, I think it could be really fun. So tell me now, you know, because I'm aware of the henna artist, but now I'm, I'm looking off to that left shoulder there and the secret keeper of Japur. Yeah. Uh, am I pronouncing that correctly? Am I saying ja that correctly? Japur. Japur. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, you know what happened with this? <laughs> oh, uh, tell me more. <laughs> this was so, this was so wild. I had lived with the characters of the henna artist for so many years in my imagination that they are with me all the time. I know that may seem weird, but maybe not so much when you're a writer. When you're a writer and you have been writing about characters for year after year after year, they do take a space in your head and uh, they're constantly sort of talking to you. And so one of the characters, once we had put the henna artist to bed, he kept asking me to please write this story about himself. At the same time that the, the book is uh, out and reviewers, reviewers are the first ones that you will hear from. They're the early reviewers on Instagram, early reviewers on Facebook, or you know they're reviewing it for their publications and so on. So you hear from them first. And what they're saying is, I love this one character that you have. You know, I, I, I love Lakshmi, but I also love this character of Malik that you have in here. So Malik loomed very large in my imagination. And I started writing about him because I already knew what was going to happen to him in the future. And I knew what his past was. This is the other thing, Seth, about writing every character in your novel. We're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with the following ads and then bring you right back to our conversation. Whether or not you include it in the book, you need to write their backstories and you need to write their future stories. You need to know what is happening with them, where they came from, why they do the things that they do. This is also something that takes years, I think, of exploration with uh, your characters. It's not just a character that you plopped into the book at a certain point. In the reader's mind, they have a history too. And you need to know what that history is. The more you know about their history, the deeper the, the reader can understand about them and why they're doing the things they're doing. So uh, Malik is just somebody I know really well now after all of these years. I, I know all of these characters well. And then remember, I told you about all of the stuff I had to cut out of the henna artist based on uh, all these editors and agent suggestions. And because I had to cut so much out, 
I had all of these pages already sitting around with their backstories, future stories, different scenes that got cut out. And I thought, oh, you know what? I already know what's going to happen to this dude. I don't have to start all over again. So uh, I wrote about 20 pages and I sent it off to my uh, agent. And she said, we're going to send this off to the uh, publisher. And I said, oh, well, you know, at this point, the henna artist isn't even out in the bookstores yet. And so I said, oh, uh, I don't understand. Why are we sending this now? I mean, the publisher won't even know that the henna artist is successful or not successful. Why would they even be interested in buying the sequel? And she said, uh, believe me, I think that they are going to love this sequel, too. So she sends it off. Immediately, we have a contract. Immediately. Just based on the 20 pages. <laughs> wow. and, and they say, yes, we're going to buy the book. And uh, so then I have to write it. And the writing for the second book came much more, uh, came much more quickly. It was really fully formed in my head what was happening in his life because I've been thinking about it for so many years. So uh, The Secret Keeper, once again, the plot, just like in The Henna Artist, the plot only took me about eight months or so to, to figure out uh, because I, I, I don't really know from the very beginning when I start writing what the plot is going to be and how these characters are going to end up. But I know at the end of eight months after working on something, oh, okay, here, here, here we go. Here's, here's what the full story looks like. Now I have to go back in and like a surgeon and make sure that everything is finessed, right? Just like I did over those uh, nine, 10 years for the henna artist. So I start writing this book and uh, I, I have the, the story down. And then within you know a couple of months, I send it off and uh, my editor goes to work. And she just said, okay, you know, this is what I like. This is, this is what I think we, we need to work on some more. And editors are so good at making suggestions that don't make you feel like they're rewriting the story for you or that they are changing your story. They, their role is so wonderful. It is so elegant because really they're just trying to get you to write better. They're just trying to get you to reach readers better. That's really what their role is. And so I have phenomenal people in my life who have helped me. The editors, I think my agent did a beautiful job holding back the book to send it to a publisher until she really felt it was ready. So yes, The Secret Keeper of Jaipur comes out on June 22nd of this year, uh, two years after I started working on it. And, uh, and then uh, because I think I have a good working relationship now with my publisher, these are all really important things for people to also learn that you don't learn in an MFA program. Writers, you have to develop good working relationships with the people who are helping you uh, in your life. So I have a really good working relationship with my editor. When they ask me to proof something, I proof it right away. When they ask me to make changes, I think about them. I give them some reasoned answers about why or why not. I want to make those changes and I send those right away. Uh, they know that I can deliver what I promise. And so they bought book number three just on the strength of me telling them about book number three. So they bought the third book as well. So I have not written the third book. <laughs> That is what I am writing this year, but they bought it last year and they bought it for a lot more than they bought the first two books because they know here is an author we can work with. Here is an author who says, 
you know, I'm going to deliver this to you at this time. And she does. And you have to have really good work habits for that, Seth. I think, uh, you know, I think going through the MFA program, I realized that the way that people are in their course, in their um, classes, whether they deliver the work that was supposed to be done, whether they show up and they have had the respectful attitude of reading everybody else's work and commenting on it the way you're supposed to do in a workshop, whether they have read the work that was supposed to be read uh, in order to discuss it in class, those habits are the same habits that you're going to need when you become an author. Those habits carry forward with you in your professional life. So if you show up to class and you do all the work and you show the respect to the other writers in class to say, yeah, you know, I read your work and here is what my thoughts are about it, then you will do well as an author. But if you never show up prepared, if you never show up with respect for your fellow writers, then you know what? That's going to show in your professional writer's life as well. So get your habits in early about how you work. Yeah, it sounds like it was great training. If you took advantage of it, you could train yourself. You could, you know, take advantage of what you were doing and invest in a way that would offer up the great returns you're seeing. And I hope anyone listening, hearing, watching would take that to heart because you're saying, look, I'm living proof of it. You know, there's there's what people tell you and there's what they do. I'm telling you, I said it and then I did it. And now here, this is what I have to show for it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And Seth, you know, I I remember in classes, you were always very respectful. You were respectful of other writers' uh, feelings. And, um, you know, you were looking at their work in a a very positive light. You know, you were trying to find all the good in their work that uh, that you could find. And I think that, you know, that is really important because you need to be able to talk about other people's work when you also become an author and you need to be able to figure out who is doing the kind of work that you want to emulate. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and it's so important to find those kind of mentors. Uh, just like in any other profession, you need to find mentors uh, whom you, whose work and whose work habits you admire and you want to be like them. And then you want to go up to them and say, I admire you so much. Could you please become my mentor? <laughs> <laughs> I also love that you brought up this idea, which I remember in in MFAs and and through so much writing, there was always the development of the character, the understanding of their backstory. But I didn't hear as often. Sometimes it would be an exercise to flash forward to a point and sort of see where that character is. But the idea that you suggested of knowing where that character is going as well, I I got a chance to meet with a a gentleman who was trying to become a fiction and uh, novelist. And then he realized that actually comic books were where he wanted to go. But it was because of another comic book writer who said, you need to know the endings for these characters. You need, no matter who that character is, you can be writing Batman, Superman, or a character you created. In your mind, you have to have an idea of what these characters and their ending looks like. And you need to write to that every time you're writing to it, because that is how you develop this sort of through line. You're in this moment writing this character, but the character has a beginning and the character has an end. Mm-hmm. 
And I had rarely heard as much about the idea of the ending. So I was so grateful when you brought that up because it's been on my mind and it's been something I've been um, applying to my own writing, this idea of not only who are these characters now when I'm telling people about them, but where will they be later? Do I, do I have enough down about their, their previous life and then also where they're going? So I love the fact that you brought that up. I also know we're getting tight on time. So my last question for you is this. Is there a question that no one has been asking when you've done interviews that you wish they would ask because you have the best answer in the world and you're like, one day they're going to ask my question. And when they do, I've got this answer because people love to ask the questions that they think writers want to be asked, but there can always be that question where you go, you know, no one ever brings this up. And if there's one thing I would love to share, it's this. Okay. Yes, there is something. And I think the question is how much of yourself do you feel comfortable putting in your book? So as a writer, you are putting words down. You are putting thoughts down that really come from you, from your core. And I think that it's important to not worry about what other people are going to say about what you are exposing of yourself in your writing. Just write the most heartfelt thing that you can write. Write the characters that resonate with you, uh, that feel real to you. So in so doing, I think what you find is that your characters will be flawed because you yourself as a writer, as a person are flawed. You have strengths and you have weaknesses and you betray other people and they betray you. You have grief, you have loss, you have forgiven other people, you have not forgiven other people. These are all things that we carry around as human beings and your characters are going to reflect that if you're honest with yourself about who you are. And when your characters reflect portions of you, you may feel vulnerable. You may feel, oh no, I'm exposed now. People will know how I really feel about such and such. Uh, People will know about my sexuality. People will know about, um, you know, why I hate a certain group of people. So um, don't worry about that vulnerability coming through. It's your vulnerability that is your superpower. I can attest to that, Seth. I think that everything I feel is in the characters of the henna artist. Everything I feel deep down, things that I, um, things that I feel good about, and things that I feel icky about, are all in my characters of the book. And the more vulnerable that I made myself, the deeper I could get into the characters. The more. Uh, I was, the less I was concerned about exposing myself, the more real the story got. So I would say to people, don't worry about exposing all the good and the icky parts of yourself in your stories. That is what makes you human. And that is what resonates with people because everybody knows they have good, bad, and ugly in them. Everybody knows they do, right? We don't want to read about characters who are goody two-shoes because we think "Eh, that's not real. That's ridiculous. (laughs) We also don't want to read about characters who are just bad through and through because that's not right either. All of us have humanity. All of us do. Even if we do bad things all the time, we still have humanity. And that humanity is going to come through if you're being real about yourself 
through your characters. So I think that maybe if I were to rephrase that question, it is, um, you know, do you worry about making yourself vulnerable to your readers? And I would say absolutely not. The more vulnerable you are as a writer, the more your work will resonate with readers. I think people are so afraid. Seth, people are so afraid to uh, talk about themselves, to talk realistically about uh, the problems in their marriage, to talk realistically about, um, you know, some abuse that has happened to them in the past, to talk realistically about, um, you know, how much, how jealous or envious they are of other people. And really, those are all human feelings. Those, we all have them. And uh, I am I, always trying to tell writers, the more you can delve into yourself and get, get to the guts of how you feel about things, the better your stories will be. That's amazing because if there's one thing I remember hearing so often, it was how boring many writers felt they were but how interesting they believed their characters were. It was like, I don't want to talk about me. I'm boring. I'm not very interesting, but I want to make my characters great. And it's almost like you're saying, okay, quit putting a wall between you and your story. Yeah. Tear down the wall, allow yourself to be as much a part of it as possible. And yeah. you know, also recognize that the growth you're going to experience, just because you're willing to put yourself into that vulnerable place, face the things about yourself that, you do and don't like, and yeah. then be vulnerable enough to put them into your work and, and let it be, you know, experienced by others. That's a, that's a powerful gift. I, I am going to start asking that question. more. <laughs> that's yeah. a good one. Um, yeah. Alka, yeah. If anyone wants to follow up with you, if they say, Hey, you know what? 45 minutes listening to you on storytelling with Seth was simply not enough. What's the best way for somebody to either send praises, make contact uh, in any other way that you like to engage with, the public that you now have <laughs> enjoying yeah. your works and communicating with you. Once again, Seth, I make myself very available to people. I think once again, writers are sort of afraid they maybe hide behind their literary agent or their publisher. And they say, okay, you can only communicate uh, to me through them, but I make myself available to everybody. And I think that's been so helpful during the pandemic when people were just aching for a connection with somebody. And they would write to me directly and say, hey, I've got this book club. Will you please come speak to me? I said, absolutely. I'm doing nothing here at home. I'm in the <laughs> lockdown, right? Like, just like you are. I've got so time. I'm here at home. I can talk to you. No problem. And it is just wonderful to connect to people. So people can always reach me through my website, alkajoshi.com. And they can also reach me through my email, Alka at alkajoshi.com. It becomes super easy. Um, Making and, it really uh, easy. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think that it's going to be really fun as uh, I finish this book number three to see the whole trilogy together. Uh, and I am advancing the story with each of these books. The uh, first one is 1957 India. The second one is 1969 India. And the <laughs> third one is actually 1973 Paris and India. Uh, so that's going to be, uh, you know, really fun. And with each of these, they're historical fiction, which I never thought I would be writing, but it allows me to do a lot of research and make the uh, setting and the characters feel very authentic. Mm -hmm. And 
what I, and I realized that, you know, I've always loved research. I, I love research. I love, you know, learning about all kinds of interesting things from the past. And uh, so I get to incorporate a lot of that in the research and I'm loving it. And right now I'm doing research on fragrances <laughs> and uh, adoptees and adoptive families, because those are all going to be part of, of the story. Well, so, um, yeah, I can't wait to have you on to talk about the third book, talk about the trilogy, have another great chat. But in 45 minutes, Alka, you just dropped down some of the most wonderful things I can imagine hearing or sharing. And I think I'm not the only one you're going to be hearing that from and about. So thank, thank you, you so Seth. much. It's been thank a blessing. You. <laughs> you have been a wonderful interviewee. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording so we can go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks to everyone listening. And Alka just told you all the great ways to get in touch. If you think she has more insights than she just shared in 45 minutes, I think you're right. I would reach out to her. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of episode number 91 of Storytelling with Seth. Thank you for joining me and this great conversation with Alka Joshi. Thank you to Alka for carving that time out of her schedule to break down so many wonderful things about her process, uh, writing and publishing The Henna Artist, and how important it was to focus on ideas like writing a story that matters, and also this beautiful concept of vulnerability being a superpower. I know it's something I'm going to look at in my work, and if you are too, I'd love to hear about it. You also have all those great ways that she shared that you can get in touch with Alka. And I'd also like to remind you that The Henna Artist will be available as a paperback starting April 6th. And that on June 22nd, that sequel that she teased, The Secret Keeper of Japur, will be coming out and be available for you to enjoy. I know I'm looking forward to it. I know I'm grateful and really thrilled to have hung out with a, a great classmate, a great writer, a great person. Should you have any follow-up questions that you have for either of us, please reach out and let us know. Alka told you all the ways to find her. You can find me uh, out there as One More Singleton on Twitter, or simply wherever you find me when you type my name, Seth Singleton, into a search engine. I look forward to the next time I get the chance to share another story with you.